Okay, this is another episode of Cut and Splice. This is Jason. This is Gil. And this is Matt. All right, and uh, tonight we are discussing um, one of my, uh, a movie that I really like called The Way of the Gun. It came out in the year 2000. And um, yeah, uh, as usual, we're um, going to spend a little while talking about our recommendations of the movie, what we thought about it in kind of general bland terms. And uh, after a little while, we'll just uh, go into the actual spoiler type stuff. This is one of those movies I saw a long time ago that I kind of fell in love with and then spent the next two decades trying to show it to people because I don't think very many people saw it. (laughs) And it's not the easiest movie to sell someone on. Like, you know, if they've never seen it and trying to be like, Hey, this is what we should watch because it's, um, it's not very normal. It's kind of weird. So if, you know, if, if you're, if you know what somebody's in it looking for, like what kind of a movie they're looking for, this is usually not it <laughs> just because it's a little strange, but um, yeah. Um, what did you guys kind of think about it? No, it's funny. Is like, I, uh, I, the poster looked familiar to me <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I realized that I think there was a poster of layer cake. Oh. <laughs> it kind of looked like that. That had Layer like a yellowish thing like to it's it. It's got the same colors, yeah. Yeah, but in any case, that that was just like because because for some reason the name popped to me and and uh, and uh, and the design of the poster because those things can sometimes be memorable on marketing, but but I, I the composition of the the cast and stuff like I was like no I, I have not heard of this movie or saw anything about it because because uh, there's some some memorable casting choices here. Uh, so I, I just found yeah, it interesting. Um, but, but overall, like my, my quick um, review of it, I, um, I don't think I liked it very much. I, uh, I think it's, uh, it's kind of like a mishmash of various things, um, which we can get into, but, but for some reason, even though there's some nice highlights uh, as far as uh, the, um, the performances, especially uh, Benicio and uh, and James Caan, I felt like, were the two uh, biggies in the movie, yeah, like, like the ones favorites. that really shined in the movie. Um, but other than that, it's um, I don't know, I don't know why. It's it just by 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 the end of the movie, like twenty minutes into the end, it was like, what the hell is going on? Like, why <laughs> why is this even a movie? And 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 I think and with further analysis, I'm sure with spoilers, we'll get into it. But but I I totally understand what was attempted there, like what what they were trying to go for. It's just that I I maybe for some it would just fall flat, and for and for others. Uh, like we said, this is like a a theme in our our show. I think ever since Tenant, it's if you if you like the first 30, 40 minutes, if you're with it, then you'll enjoy the ride. You'll find something to like. But if the first 30, 40 don't get you, then the rest of it is just torture. <laughs> yeah, and there's some torture there towards the everybody. end. Yeah, yeah, but but we'll get into that. But 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 yeah, and um. Uh, what about you, Matt, before I get into, like, ratings and stuff? Well, um, first of all, Jason, I, I think if you wanted to really sell me on seeing the movie earlier, especially uh, around, you know, 2000 when it came out, I th- well, obviously, this is before we met. I think you would just 10 have... years ago, let's say. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, before, uh, before Christopher McQuarrie directed his second movie. 
Yes. Uh, uh, you would, I, I, I basically think you would just have to say the directorial debut of the guy who wrote the usual, the usual suspects starring Benicio del Toro, del Toro and Juliet Lewis. And I would, and, uh, James Conn and I would have been all over it. Oh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I may have said that in a weird way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely know how to sell it in terms of its its uh, positive yeah. aspects. I, I guess what I was saying, and, and again, we can go into this more later, but um, just it's uh, it's got some weird things about it that are kind of un, unusual. Like it's not, yeah. you know, if, if you were, if I was talking to a friend of mine who really liked action movies, I could yeah. tell him that the end of this movie has an out, outstanding climactic gunfight at the end, which I love. Uh, but I mean, for somebody who's like, say, just, just throwing this out there, like someone who's like, you know, looking for um, like a Fast and the Furious movie or um, the Expendables or something like that, it's just like a lot of gunplay and a lot yeah. of action and whatever. The middle of this movie is like tons and tons of talking heads. And it's yeah. it's not like an action-packed movie, you know. Yeah. It's got weird I, pacing issues. It's got weird, like, you know. Anyway, I could get into that more later, but it's it's just yeah. a weird movie. Yeah, I, I, I and I agree with that. I think kind of well, that's another thing though. I mean, the second you see that Juliet Lewis is in a movie, you kind of expect it to be weird at this point. Well, especially even back <laughs> then, you know, expect it to be weird. Um, but it, it, kind of like Ethan Hawke now. Uh, but um, I, 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 I guess my my broad impression that doesn't involve like any like nitpicks or spoilers or anything like that. Is that, I mean, okay, especially recently, I am a pretty big fan of Christopher Christopher McCory, uh, both as a writer and as a director. I'm glad that he took 12 years between this film and, uh, and Jack Reacher. And it's also one of those things that just strikes me as, okay, this is the guy who wrote The Usual Suspects, and this is his directorial debut, debut and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because if you're the writer on the usual suspects and then you give it to a different director and, you know, you're going through a whole team of people, they're going to kind of be, be able to rein in some of that, some of those writer instincts of, you know, all the twists and all the turns and all that stuff that you're just trying to make really cool from a writer's standpoint and just kind of ground it a little bit more here. I think he just kind of unleashed everything that he wanted to do as a writer <laughs> that that is uh i had not thought screen. about any of that but i completely agree now that you bring it up because um yeah. that in a weird sort of way that kind of goes <laughs> hand in hand with some of the stuff i was going to talk about yeah but uh yeah i, I mean I, again i'm not gonna I, i'm definitely not gonna pan the movie i'm just uh i i i think that it fell a little short of uh like my expectations, like compared to like where you are and everything. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So rating wise, I guess what Jason, where do you place it? I, I really love this movie, you know, for a lot of its um, positive things, but it it definitely has its flaws for sure. Um, I guess maybe like a, <laughs> like a very enthusiastic six or a very um, cautious seven. Kind of, I'd probably put it in a seven. I'd put it in a seven. It's just, um, you know, it's it's got problems for sure. What about you, Matt? 
I guess I would say a, probably a six, six and a half. Yeah, I, I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I think I can go very low with this movie. But then I was starting to count, like, what can I give it points for? <laughs> uh, and and I think I, I pretty much have to give it, like, one point each for uh, Benicio and, and uh, James Caan. Like, just those two performances I felt like were uh, very solid. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't messed up by the terrible plotting and, and the characterization is, it just shows that they're geniuses, that they're very good actors, um, but 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 also that like that Christopher McQuarrie was doing some stuff right. It wasn't all wrong, um, and, and and I give it like maybe another point, possibly two for um, for trying. Like I feel like there was an attempt there to do something interesting, uh, like something that was more than like there was the whole code. Of the way of the gun, there was the understanding between between Benicio and James Caan, <laughs> the two best performances. Those two characters like had this understanding. Uh, yeah, so so I think for that, like I'm in between like a three and a four. Like I'll give it like probably three for the for the the trying to make something out of it, uh, and then and then four for just you know, trying to be ambitious in general, but I felt like that also what faults the movies that it's trying to be too many things at the same time. Um, so I'll probably like land at a, at a, at a four. Yeah. Well, before we go too deep into it and talk about the other stuff, um, uh, would it, based on what you guys have said, would it be safe to say that you feel that this is the weakest of, uh, of, Christopher McQuarrie's four films that he has directed. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Um, because um, I like all four of his films. Um, I do think his, his last two um, mission impossible movies while being very good, were also kind of like the most forgettable in terms of their plots. Like I, I, I was, they're the ones I've seen the most recently. And about a year ago I was, um, trying to talk with somebody about the movies and both of us were having difficulty, like even remembering what the, what the actual plot of those two movies were. But I think they his mission possible movies were really good. And I was incredibly surprised by how much I liked Jack Reacher. Cause I, when I saw it in theaters, I went into it with super low expectations. And then I was just like, wow, it's like way better than I thought. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure how I'd really rank them, but uh, I, I like all four of his films. Well, I haven't um, I haven't seen any of them, so it's it's tough for me to judge. Oh. Um, but but I definitely see how coming off of um, like the the usual suspects, not directly after, but but that the, there's this attempt to to do this very grandiose like epic crime movie, and, and it and it just doesn't with a lot of characters with a lot of characters, but it just doesn't have the same charm, the same uh, handling of characterization. It's just not on par. Like you just, it is actually a, a good example of like how, you know, the same writer can can miss by so much uh, just by, if anything, trying to do a similar thing, and um, but not not with the same talent, not with the same yeah. person in the helm. Uh, but I have no doubt, even though I haven't seen the other ones, that he's gotten better. I mean, it's you know he's gotten yeah. bigger and bigger movies, so I'm assuming that. He, he got better. <laughs> we, we don't usually talk about people's writing projects unless they're writer directors, but 
I mean, I, I actually would agree with, I, again, I didn't think about this until Matt said it just a few minutes ago, but I would agree that uh, what I see as the problems with this movie mostly stem from the directing and not the writing. Like, I think the screenplay is really good. Not that I've read it, but just based on what's being said on screen and everything. Um, I think the script is pretty cool. And um, <laughs> when I look at his, uh, the movies he's written, I, I think it's interesting because it's a, it's kind of all over the place. He's written a ton of stuff for Tom Cruise and um, yeah. it's kind of hit and miss. Yeah. Actually, that's one thing that you, you've, you've kind of got to wonder, especially with his uh, directing credits, the only movie that he hasn't, uh, that he's directed that didn't have Tom Cruise in it was the way of the gun. And yeah, the usual suspects. Oh, you said he didn't, he didn't direct sorry. it. Yeah, then no, 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 directed. But I mean, you look at his writer credits. I mean, he wrote The Tourist, and that was a stinker. And you know, uh, Jack the Giant Slayer was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, the Mummy, I didn't see, but everyone said it was pretty bad. Yeah, Valkyrie. Uh, well, the, I, I mean, The Mummy had Tom Cruise in it, so I guess Tom Cruise couldn't save that from uh, Alex Kurtzman. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but. Yeah, yeah actually, tomorrow is. Uh, I like that. Uh, one. I haven't seen it, yeah. but I need to see it. But I've heard it's pretty good. It's pretty oh, it's good. Really good. Yeah, it's uh, pretty I, good. yeah. It, it it's even better than it deserved to be. <laughs> I, I don't know if that makes sense, but also yeah, Top it, it Gun, the the new Top Gun. Oh, that was a good. Yeah, one. yeah I mean, although I wouldn't say it was very. It was good, but I don't think it was good because it had a, a some sort of like bulletproof script or anything like that it was just yeah it was a good script and it was you know made by a good director and all the p moving parts worked very well in that movie <laughs> yeah who, uh, who directed that one um it's that guy who did um hold on i'll click on it right now Joseph uh, Joseph, yeah he did that yeah. one war movie and, and oblivion um, and oblivion and oh yeah yeah uh, tron which again, Tron is you know to get to give this guy some leniency. Tron was a movie that had a lot of good ideas and was more or less dragged down by its script, not so much by its directing. But uh, <laughs> that's my little take on that. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't done but, much. Looks like music videos and and some short films. He's probably wants to. He, I, I know with Oblivion and stuff because he kind of came out of nowhere with Oblivion, and and I, yeah. I think he was kind of like, uh, it's one of those like younger people that come in and just want to be cautious about their decisions so they don't just make like one stinker after another and uh, lose their way. So he kind of waits for the right project or something. Mm. I don't know. It's um, I've heard good things about Only the Brave. I've never seen it though. Yeah, I still haven't seen that one, and uh, yeah, I should be ashamed. Uh, but, ashamed. <laughs> shame. Shame. But you know that Gosh. is kind of a uh, you know actually I mean not to dwell on like the Tom Cruise aspect of Christopher McQuarrie's career though, but I mean Tom Cruise is kind of notoriously you know, involved in just about everything, you know, when yes, it comes true. to anything that he's in. And I mean, both Christopher McCory and Tom Cruise have talked about like the last couple of Mission Impossible movies and the upcoming uh, movies, which I, I assume are at least going to be Tom Cruise's last. 
the dude's 60 years old and he's still jumping off of cliffs on a motorcycle and parachuting and crap like yeah. that. Uh, but and fighting people 20 years younger than him. Yeah, but I mean, you know, both of them have actually talked about the they actually have gone into like pre-production on those last couple of movies with like set pieces and stunts in mind that they just wanted to put in there. And they actually kind of wrote the script around those set pieces that they wanted to do. <laughs> Is uh, that a good which, thing though? Uh, yeah not sure that's actually before (laughs) it's good when you get a movie like fallout Uh, i mean don't get me wrong the the results (laughs) are speaking okay like they're they're that was a good movie that last one they made it was pretty darn good but it's like that's a very weird way to go about things (laughs) if it works it works Uh, but i i mean i think the point that i'm making is that maybe it's because of that collaboration that Christopher McQuarrie has decided to, or is actually kind of being forced to write in a much more simple, streamlined way Perhaps. and, and not, you know, bog his movies down with as much uh, twists and turns and intrigue and all that stuff, as opposed to like, just get the story, get the story on the screen. Um, I, I mean, my perception of it is uh, based on what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. Uh, he's just a smart guy. I, I guess, you know, he did yeah. the, the, the usual suspects as the first like one of his first scripts. So, you know, he must be. But yeah. um, I think he was just he's smart about it. First of all, I think Tom Cruise basically lifted him up. I, I think he just liked him, um, you know, when they got together, yeah. or whatever, like the first writing project that they were involved with together because Tom Cruise is so involved and uh, yeah. and he kind of lifted him up uh, to be director of maybe on Jack Reacher. And then from there, he brought him on to like Mission Impossible. I think that's all Tom Cruise. I don't think it's it's his talent, let's just say, as a director. Uh, I, I think he's just an adequate director that's gotten better and better and, and an adequate, a very good writer that got better and better. He's tried to be too ambitious with some of his scripts, but he's self-corrected in recent times to, like you said, to just keep things simple it, uh, when what works uh he's not super adventurous uh, i would say like based on what i'm seeing he's basically just it's almost like not movies for paycheck but it's 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 not as if he's really like you know uh spreading his wings and going in all different creative directions just to keep making these movies one after the other is not really i don't, I don't see that as like a a huge creative jump which is fine it's it's what tom cruise does as well He's like an entertainer. That's sort of how he sees himself, and that's that's fine. But uh, but it's 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 a credit to Christopher McQuarrie because it's not everybody's like that. You know, a lot of people uh, just keep, you know, being stubborn, and and then it doesn't work out. They keep making mistakes after mistakes. So so it's mm-hmm. it's good that he adapted. Um, but but uh, I don't know where I would place him. I I think he probably should have kept writing. But uh, but you know, who can say no to like becoming a director and, and directing big movies. I think it's also kind of like the, um, you know, Tom Cruise knew that if he brings him in, he'll have more creative control because they're good friends. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's that's part of it, too. It's kind of like how uh, when when Kubrick and um, on Paths of Glory, like when um, him and um, uh, Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas, like um, made that. And then he brought him on Spartacus because he thought like, oh, it's this young director that I can like, you know, boss around. And mm. it didn't work out well that way. 
but you know, but it's a similar thing, just that more in this case, it's like a friendship that they've developed, and they kind of like, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and and uh, this doesn't contradict anything you're saying, but just to clarify, I mean, um, he is still writing, he just seems to be writing for Tom Cruise now because, uh, more so, half, yes, half yeah. the in the last 10 years, it looks like. Uh, half of his movies were the the three that he directed and wrote with Tom Cruise, and then the other three or four were ones that he did not direct, but he did write for for Tom Cruise. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, just throwing yeah. That out there. No, no, for sure, that definitely seems that way, and it's it is interesting. I was gonna say too that famously, those two also made the uh, that viral video about changing the TV settings from the. <laughs> From, oh, I uh, remember the, that. Remember that when they did the uh, the PSA about like uh-uh. the the tracing the function and uh, the smoothing function in TVs and how you need to switch it off. And they I also kind of like, remember it, but and they yeah. they put together like a group of directors and filmmakers that that wrote kind of like an open letter to TV manufacturers to not put that as the default mode on TVs because people never change that; they just keep it, and it makes movies look like like home video because it, it makes it all sharp and and um and takes the jitter out of it so yeah yeah i just thought that was interesting too yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The at some point we at some point we should start talking about the way of the gun though yeah yeah, yeah. no no i agree <laughs> I, I guess we can go into spoilers it's something i can cut this whole part if, uh, if the no, it's it's interesting i mean it's interesting i hope so um, yeah, so I mean, we can get into spoilers if we yeah. Um, and we've established, I guess, this is the less of his, all his movies as far as rankings. Um, let me ask you guys something real quick before we go into spoilers. And we could totally cut this if you need to, because it probably isn't going to be a very productive thing. But uh, <laughs> I was just curious what you guys thought about this, because um, I, I'm, I'm afraid to even kind of say this because I don't want to come off as a dick. But um, I think most people would agree that when it comes to actors and actresses, it's like some of them are just these like talented people who can just do anything. And other people who are very, very talented sometimes just need the right project, you know, or the right director or the right script or the right something. And because of that, due to, I wouldn't say no fault to their own, but certainly not due to their lack of talent, some very talented people sometimes end up with kind of like a hit and miss kind of career. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel about Juliette Lewis. I don't know how you guys feel about her. I, I think she's really talented, but she has some like stinkers that are like kind of weird, like strange performances that I wonder what the heck happened, you know? And I don't know about you guys, but th- because of this movie, I thought to myself, I was like, well, what do I think about that her performance in this? Because I don't think she's the best thing in this. I think she's one of the weaker things in this, but I've seen worse from her for sure. And I, I looked at her filmography and I have seen about 14 or 15 of her movies and Uh several of them, like enough and Cape fear and stuff like that. I couldn't even remember that she was in. So like, I kind of just left those off the side, but out of like the 10 to 12 that I've seen that I remembered her in, I thought that like, old school and natural born killers and strange days were like at the top kind of like best mm. performances of hers. And at the very bottom was like things like catch and release 
and the voice acting that she did in Armitage of the Third, uh, part two. And, um, you know, th then there was a few other ones above that, but then like kind of right around the middle is right around where I put like from dusk till dawn, the way of the gun, Romeo is bleeding and, and stuff like that. But I don't know about you guys. It's just, I, I had this weird thing where I was like, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about that and just not just about her, but in general. And then also just what you thought of her performance, particularly in this movie. Cause to me, it was like right around the middle. Uh, Juliette Lewis is in the top five actresses that I want to work with before I die. Oh, I, I would love to work with her. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I mean, she's made some crap movies, but I, I've never seen a performance of hers where I didn't think like this chick is bringing it oh. like, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> let me show you that anime. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's mean. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 but I mean, I, I, I think that she is consistently strong. Okay. Uh, the the issue. I, I okay. Um. All right. This might be one of the areas where I I might be coming off as the, as the dick. She's not like. Scarlett Johansson hot or anything, you know, oh. she's not like she, she's never been like the it girl. I mean, I think that she's, I mean, especially like, you know, you take away the murdering psychopath element of her and natural born killers. I think she was sexy as hell, uh, but, uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, but I, I mean, she, I think that she's one of the greatest actresses that we've ever had. She's just, uh, uh, because she's just kind of, you know, she's never been like a Jennifer Connelly or, you know, a Julia Roberts kind of movie star presentation. Uh, that, and I, I never thought much of Julia Roberts as an actor either. You know, <laughs> you're but but you know, you know, she. The thing is, Juliette Lewis kind of hit her spark during an era when the movie star was still a big thing. And, you know, like, you know, you could be kind of like a Julia Roberts and, you know, not really be that strong of an actor, but just be, you know, the it girl and you're going to get a, a lot of roles. And Juliet Lewis was never that. So she, uh, I think her career has mostly been her taking those really ballsy, edgy, independent films and then every so often you know taking uh you know flashing up into one of those more mainstream like comedy films where like yeah they're uh, right uh uh so i, I mean yeah I, I i think that that that's kind of the story of her career is uh, so far as i could see it and if there were just more uh outlets for somebody like her with her talent, I, I think that she, I, I still, well, I mean, she's still around. I mean, she could, you know, act for another like what, 30, 40 years and, you know, end up going down as like an American version of Helen Mirren or Ju Judy Dench, as far as I could tell. But, you know, it's just going to depend on, uh, you know, where her career goes. <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, that's very high praise. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I think, were you going to say something, Jason? 
No, I'm just, I want to hear what you had to say. Okay, yeah, no, I, I think that she's she's unique. Um, you know, kind of like in the uh, in the same way that like uh, Winona Ryder is, or maybe yeah. um, uh, what's her face, uh, Wednesday Adams, <laughs> Christina <laughs> Ricci. Like they're the type of girls that have a unique look, and um, and this um, physique to them. They're very frail. It's good for them to play like frail characters, like flawed characters, and that's a that's a niche that you can definitely find. Uh, the if if you cast them well, uh, to me, like they're, they're sort of like the um, the the female version of not really uh, because he's kind of like a, a like a good looking uh, like stud and stuff like in the classic way, but it, like like Ryan Gosling, I feel like is very specific type of dude he's not a brad pitt he's not a dicaprio and he's not a jake gyllenhaal he's kind of like got this acting style this aloof acting style almost like not interested in being movies acting style but people and maybe this is like a sexist thing but people find roles for him that really really work like all these roles male roles of people that are like disconnected whether it's like like Blade Runner 2049, where he's a robot, <laughs> disconnected. <laughs> or like, you know, was Lars and the Real Girl or something? Or drive. Um, in the way where he's like, you know, drive, very aloof, doesn't say anything. Um, you know, what the hell is he playing now? Ken and the Barbie thing. Very aloof dude. Even, even in, uh, I think he was slightly miscast uh, a little bit in um, in La La Land, but he, but he somehow managed to pull that off. Uh, the character, yeah, I guess, he's worked. Got, he's got such great chemistry with uh, uh, with uh, Emma Stone. Yeah, exactly. And and being aloof for that character was okay because he was kind of like whatever dude kind of guy musician. So it kind of worked. In any case, but somehow he's managed to put a career together from that one mode of being essentially i've i i i've, i i don't recall seeing any other acting decision from him apart from that like it's <laughs> variations on the same theme and and i feel like those other actresses uh christina ritchie maybe can like stretch herself a, a bit more but but i feel and like these gorgeous. yeah and, and um i i feel like they they it's the same kind of niche like they like julia lewis really works for that frail slightly psychotic <laughs> you know <laughs> um unstable like like um woman and and the, and you would think it's supposed to having the gangbang while you're at work <laughs> yeah so and i and it's supposed to work for this movie when you think about what the character is true yeah but it doesn't fully work for me and this movie i think maybe she just goes a bit too big like i, I, feel, I, I feel like she's good but she goes a little too big in this movie yeah, but but as far as like choosing her, you know the 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 poor woman that needed the well, money. I think the casting was good. Yeah, I just yeah yeah the casting was good, but somehow again that's just script and character and good directing like characterization yeah. and and maybe that's that's the one thing that could be discussed about this movie. It, it kind of separates the the what's the word the the cream from the from the yeah. whatnot. But in any case, like the. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the saying is. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. know, it, it's because because people like Gary Oldman. Like you see how Benicio and uh, and, and you know, I'll say James Caan is a great actor, but he he's got some bad. Was. Yeah, was oh, uh, recently passed. But but um, but he's had some bad performances as well. Benicio, I feel like 
is an exceptional actor. He's one of those people that really brings it. And uh, and a good example of it, like he uh, and Sicario, I, I heard like uh, Denis was saying how every single scene he was trying to find ways to reduce more and more of his lines. He's like, he kept telling him, if you can basically make my character a mute, I'll give you the best performance. And and that's yeah. how, and then, I, and knowing that story, I was watching The Way of the Gun and I'm like, he did it back then. No, like, yeah. The, you yeah. totally see him taking out lines that probably were there. Absolutely. But he probably told, um, you know, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, like, can I just show it instead of saying it? And uh, and that's the mark of a really good actor. I think he does it a bit too much in this one. He's a bit too silent. Works better in Sicario. But yeah, I, I think it's very interesting to look at it. While Juliette Louise was like, was just dived into the script and and didn't take the good stuff yeah. out of it. And I think James Conn is someone but somewhere between them. He just I, I really think, yeah. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to see this script done by somebody like Denny or somebody like um you know because you just mentioned um uh, <laughs> uh Sicario but um you know or like like you know Brian Singer, even you know he he did he worked so well with uh, his Usual Suspects script. Yeah. I'd like to see somebody else who had a little more experience and see what they would have done with it. Yeah, and just to finish the thought, like James Khan, I feel like he's somewhere in the middle. He mm -hmm. he get, he brought richness to the character mm -hmm. with with the background, like the with yeah. the backstory. Like you really see that this guy's been through a lot in life, and, and that he's. Not a good guy, not a bad guy. He's somewhere in the middle. He's complex, more so than the other people in the movie. And uh, and you see that depth there, um, but it's still not an outstanding performance. I don't think it's as good as Benicio, but of course, every character is different. It's, you know, There's so much you can do with a character. Uh, but I think those three characterizations are very interesting. And then the rest of them, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I, I don't know, I, I to me, like... Um, you know, Ryan uh, Philippi. <laughs> and uh, I don't know who, who thought that he's like, you know, a, a movie star. Um, and, um, <laughs> and and some of the um, the other, like the two henchmen, you know, like the Tay Diggs and, and Tay Nikki Katz. They look like two idiots that were picked up from like a B movie on like some like cable, like tv like you know movie or something i i just don't see them as like in a major motion picture like no no offense like it's just that i, I felt like they're just not up to snuff you know like you're talking about like they're acting or what yeah they're acting oh, their okay. look they just weren't interesting there's the uh jeffrey lewis is is good he's like a very like you know a well-known uh, character actor uh, and there's that guy like who plays the the doctor who's from uh yeah. he, he was the, the the asshole the annoying kid from um ah uh, uh, dead poet society oh uh, yes yeah. yeah yeah but in That's any case right. yeah so like it's some interesting um the, those casting choice really didn't work for me unlike the benicio juliet and and uh, uh one last thing i was gonna say before i forget is uh things that i noticed that i noted for myself is i did appreciate there was um there was a a Bergman reference. Uh, they um, when the uh, the the wife like looks at the image on the screen of the oh yeah at the baby something yeah 
like the I don't know what it was like the sonogram. The sonogram, yeah, yeah. And she was like touching the screen. That was like a persona, you know, homage. Uh, yeah. Um, also, talking about guns, uh, I appreciated that uh, one of the many guns that they used there was a uh, Galil, you know, the oh, Israeli. My favorite rifle. I want <laughs> yeah. it so bad. Really? I think I've shot with it once or twice in the army. Oh, it's, it's actually, so it's, it's a disgusting gun. Like, Israel is actually hated. Everybody liked the M16 because it's, it's lighter. Mm -hmm. So it's like not as heavy to carry around you all day long. And, yeah. and it doesn't jam nearly as much as the Galil. If I but. could get my hands on a Galil, especially like an old one like that, like the one in this movie, oh my god, I want that so bad. Yeah, it's the only <laughs> thing that's nice about it is that the the thing folds the uh, the butt like of the yeah, the like stock it's got a carry handle, the stock. Yeah. It's got, most of them have a bipod built in. They have a bottle opener on it. It's awesome. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, anyways, but but uh, I don't know. Yeah, your thoughts about the uh, casting of the rest of the. Well, I could go into it, Matt. What did you think? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think overall it was pretty strong. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with Gil that the standout. It, well, the, I mean, the 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 real standouts were uh, Benicio del Toro and and James Caan. Uh, but uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, while Gil was talking about. Uh, particularly Benicio del Toro, uh, but my experience with acting and actors too is that you know I I think that most experienced directors actually would rather have an actor come in and be too big, and because it's just easier to take an actor who's being too big and take him or her down than it is to take somebody who is being a little bit too stoic and trying to get them to build it up. Uh, and maybe Christopher McQuarrie didn't really have the wherewithal as a, a director yet to kind of rein in Juliet Lewis a little bit more, you know, just, you know, yeah, bring it down sense. a little bit. <laughs> Honestly though, um, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories, you know, especially when you talk about writers who get into directing, I mean, David Mamet, obviously is best known as a writer he's been kind of hit or miss when it comes to directing i mean i think spartan is a deeply underrated movie and here, here. edmund and edmund was just awful uh yes, but, <laughs> but i mean like william h macy was talking about you know working one of those several times with david mamet and you know talking about how he's like staying up all night punching all this David Mamet dialogue into his brain, because if you've ever read David Mamet, David Mamet's dialogue, you don't ad lib that shit. I mean, it's like ad libbing Shakespeare. You don't do it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, William H. Macy talking about like spending all night, just hammering all this David Mamet dialogue into his head. And then they show up on set and David Mamet just starts looking through the pages and crosses out like half the dialogue. We don't need any of that shit, you know. <laughs> 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 uh, and I, I mean, I think that it, that's also a sign of an experienced director is to actually do that to himself. What Benicio del Toro apparently was doing with Denny, uh, uh, you know, like, okay, let's strip down the dialogue to the bare minimum. Let's. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um like like a good example uh, of that illustrated is um that scene in um, uh, Birdman where uh, they're, yeah. you know, it's the writer and the actor talking and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, 
uh, Ed Norton and he's telling him like, you're saying the same thing three times in a row here. Why don't we just do it this way? And like, suddenly it just works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also uh Richard Gere was saying how, uh, like on days of heaven, he was, uh, he was almost frustrated, <laughs> like saying it, but he was, was, you know, there was an actual script with words for this movie. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just that like, you know, we were, and we, we even talked them on set, but then like in the edit, like 90% of the words were cut essentially. Mm. I don't know if they filmed it or if the, they cut it on the day like David Mamet, but, but basically it sounded like that, that his perception of the movie was way more normal than it ended up being. Like it was yeah. actually way more traditional and on set than it was in the edit. So that is interesting. I think probably yeah. in later movies, Terrence Malick just scripted things that way. But but maybe in Days of Heaven, he was like, I'm going to shoot this normally for safety. And I'm going to really try to fuck it up. And and then it went pretty well. It's like one of his best movies. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, apparently uh, uh, Irreversible, which I would not recommend to anybody who wants to sleep at night for the next week afterward which it's just a horrifying movie uh just don't watch here, anything here. by jasper just don't watch anything by jasper no uh but apparently they went into production on that with like a seven page treatment and wow. all the dialogue was just ad-libbed that kind of makes <laughs> sense for that movie well let me try and um uh explain what i do like about this movie and um you guys can tell me what you think like i was saying before i mean it's a kind of a weird movie in the way that it was made. Uh, but I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, it's a kidnapping ransom kind of movie, which is pretty simple, of course, but uh, as a concept. But um, I don't know. I, I like this movie because it's like there's really only about nine characters in it, which I guess is a lot for a movie but still. Um, mm -hmm. And then all of them are really bad people. Like for the most part, uh, like it, even in the beginning, uh, when as Brian Phillippe's like narrating, like he kind of warns you the audience that like these two characters are not heroes. They're not even anti-heroes, really. They're just kind of like criminals, they're like bad people. And mm -hmm. they're criminals with practically nothing to lose. They have no interest mm -hmm. in a normal lifestyle. They have no interest in reforming or anything like that. They have a firm belief that for some reason they deserve to be rich and have some sort of fortune that they can live off of and live an uh, easy life. And which is probably deranged, but that's what they mm -hmm. think at least. And as long as they can manage to get that, that's all that they really care about. And the only reason we kind of root for them, or at least sort of root for them anyway, I don't know if, if everybody does root for them, but um, aside from the fact that it's being told from their point of view, they like, uh, they're at least a little bit better than most of the people around them or that are against them. You know, I mean, they, and they're only better because we see the, the moments between them, the intimate stuff, but like from an outside point of view, they're just as bad as everybody else. But, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the two bodyguard guys that are up against them for most of the movie are like these strange, ultra competitive people, this group of guys that are like demonstrably, bad they don't care anything for the mother or the baby that they're tasked with protecting and uh the, she says to them they only care about winning you know like at any cost basically 
And then later on in the movie, we find out they're also motivated by money because they want to betray everybody and take a bunch of money that's not theirs. But, I mean, it really definitely doesn't make them better than the two leads, for sure. And the rich people that are, you know, that they stole the baby from, they, you know, that they're that uh, are supposedly the um, parents of the baby are like, they're per pretty much portrayed as like scum of the earth, terrible uh, crime boss type people, you know, the, and uh, the wife is like a trophy wife of a person like that. And they go out of their way to show how bad she is, you know, mm -hmm. and, and how manipulative she is and how, you know, uh, she, she's not even loyal to her husband either. So it's like they, and then, you know, they while James Kahn comes off as a very nice guy um, through his conversations with Benicio del Toro, you can see, I mean, they call him a bag man in their little weird lingo of this movie, you know, and they say that kind of person can never be trusted. Benicio says he used to be what, the same kind of person and that he definitely doesn't trust him at all. And by the end of the movie, you see that James Kahn, while he's a pretty nice guy, he definitely like, got a bunch of people together that he at least maybe he didn't trust them, but he certainly trusted their skills and got them all killed. You know, <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. and he doesn't seem all that bothered by it at all. <laughs> you know, uh, really the only two good kind moral people in the movie are kind of virtuous people are Robin, the girl with the, the pregnant girl, uh, Juliet Lewis and the doctor. And by the end of the movie, you find out that even they are like dishonest and secretive and they're like trying to scam out the other people out of the, their money and stuff like that. So it's like, it's interesting that there's, they're not trying to make any of these people really particularly good. It's just a big cast of people who all have a different motivations and, um, you know, kind of like what the line in the movie that James Caan says when he's talking to the doctor. He says something about the doctor flippantly says something to him about, oh, you're going to do all this for money. And he says, $15 million isn't money. Just what you go to the store with is money. You know, he's $15 million is like, you know, that's that's a motive that anybody, you know, for anybody to do anything. You know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. So they're all after the money for the most part. And they kind of go out of their way to show that none of these people are particularly better than other any of the others. I guess you could say that Juliet Lewis and the doctor are a little bit more victims, but not by much. No, I think James Caan is the least questionable character, even though he's like a, like a, an underground fixer. He is a, just a fixer. Like he, yeah, I'm sure some, sometimes many people in his. Yeah, exactly. So that's why he's still a bad guy, but he's sort of like much like the other guy, like the, like, um, Ryan and Benicio like characters. He has a code. He's yeah. not out to kill people for the wrong reasons. He he yeah. kills people like when when it's an issue and and it's they're often bad guys. They're not innocent people, no. for the most part. And when he comes across this situation that has some mildly innocent people, um, you know, like gun people that got mixed up in the with the wrong people or the uh, the the robin character that's he doesn't know that it's like not the kid of the you know he thinks that she is innocent and just was kidnapped so he's trying to help everybody involved and he does let her go in the end right he lets her have the baby or so i don't know it's in the end it was like a little bit of a what's gonna happen oh whether she's gonna... I, you must have you might have missed the the reveal at the end yeah, I mean, he like like well there's i did see that the wife got pregnant in the end which was really not stupid that. Yeah, yeah, no, there's that. That was really dumb. 
Uh, I, I don't know what they were. I really don't know what they were going for there. Yeah, but but there's also like the, the, I'm not going to defend that. <laughs> yeah, but what's the? Uh, there was something else about the. Okay, the, so uh, j just just to I don't I don't want to sound like I'm this you know guy who got all of this or whatever. I, I probably I love the gunfight at the end of this movie so much that I I've probably watched this at least a dozen times. But um, one of the things I love about this movie is the the subtlety and the performances, and not all of it works. I'll just I'll go right out and say that. But especially Benicio, his stuff was really good. But there's so many little things in the performances, particularly between Ryan Philippi and Benicio, between Benicio and James Caan, and between a, a little bit too between um, uh, the, the Nikki Katz and Tay Diggs also. But um, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I did not pick up on the first time I saw. But there's a big reveal at the end of the movie. Um, in case you didn't hear it earlier, spoiler alert. But um, uh, in the scene where uh, James Kahn is talking at the bar uh, with, um, with him, he tells him, he gives him advice. He says, you got to get out of this business. You know, he tells Benicio, he says, like, mm -hmm. you're going to get to my age at some point. And you're going to realize you kept telling yourself you were going to put money away, blah, blah, blah. But you never did. And he's like, you got to get out of this. And he, and he looks at him. He says, did you put money away? And he says, no. And he says, like, I got a daughter. She says she's going to take care of me. She's trying to work on something. And then later in the movie, when the four of them are, uh, when when uh, the guy, the bad guy's name is Sarno. Oh, no, that's, that's um, sorry. Chittick is the bad guy. Chittick is, is the, the, uh, the boss. In yeah. Chittick's living room he's got his two he's got nikki katz and tay Diggs. he got the two bodyguard guys there with him and james con walks in and james con has worked with him for many years and he's surprised that he's kind of going along with their plan and he he's he's surprised that he's not just taking his advice to give him the money and let him handle it and leave these guys alone and he stands up at the uh when i say he i mean Ch uh chittick the boss stands up and he says these guys don't have any sort of emotional connection or conflict in this situation. So that's why I'm going to let them go in first. And that upsets James Caan. In the following scene, the two of them are alone. Nikki Katzen and the two bodyguards, Nikki Katzen and Tay Diggs are alone. And they're trying to figure out what was being said that they didn't get. And there's a kind of a moment where he's like, I don't understand what they were talking about. He, I don't see why there would be a conflict. And then at, he said, he specifically says, why would it be a conflict for someone else's daughter or someone else's child? And then just as he says it, the music hits and the, the other people walk in and interrupt them so they can't continue the conversation. But they look at each other and realize they just figured it out is that Juliette Lewis is James Kahn's daughter. Oh, is she? Oh. Yeah, she's the daughter and she's the that's why she agreed to do this shady ass deal with a shady ass, you know, crime boss guy because he was going to give her a million dollars and she needed the money so that she could live a hap uh, an easier life and give and you know provide some sort of retirement for her father. For James Conn? Yeah. She wanted but to get him out. Oh, she wanted the extra money to help him. I thought like that she was estranged from him, but but she he wanted to well, help her out. They they um, don't ever show that they 
he does look a little disappointed in her a couple of times, like particularly when he when it's revealed to him that the doctor is the father and stuff like that. So I, they may not have been particularly close, but in that scene where he's talking in the, the bar scene when he's talking to Benicio, he says, like, did you put money away? And he kind of looks a little regretful. And he just says, like, I got a daughter. She says she'll take care of me. She's trying to get some she's trying to make something happen. And yeah, that's why yeah. that's why at the end, when the two guys flip over on their backs, they're all shot up and whatever. And he says, let her keep the baby. And he looks at him. And he says, and he says, you can I think he's telling him to look at the at Juliet Lewis and look at the baby and you'll see that it's actually her baby and it's not the Chittics. But what he says is kind of vague. He says something like you can always tell family or something. And in that moment, he's looking down at his daughter. I see. Well, yeah. For one thing, she told them that it was her. Yeah. Oh no, they baby. knew. They knew it was her yeah. baby. I don't think they. Knew but about the family thing, the line about yeah. the family is you're saying that's when they recognize that she's his daughter. That's when. That's when the two bodyguards recognized it. Uh, so the bodyguards, when, like Tay and uh, Nikki. Yeah, they're sitting outside the house just after the conversation in the dining or in the, the living room, and they're trying to figure out what the hell was being said between the two old men that they didn't oh. get. And that's when they figure it out. Oh, I but, see. Um, I, don't I, I could have easily missed that. That's that's kind of. I missed it. <laughs> I missed it several times. I think I got yeah. it maybe the third time I saw the movie. That's got to be a, a scripting issue too. Like if it's that a, a big of a moment, you should like. I think have... it's a directing issue. I think that uh -huh. they, there's a way you could have done it that would have made it more clear. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's I'm... other really subtle stuff that I really loved that I didn't get right away. Like, I mean. The first time I saw it, I just kind of like, kind of just saw it as like a young, you know, teenager. And I just sort of was like, just watching it as an action movie. And I was like, ah, oh, these guys are like, you know, they're, they're like Travolta and, and um, uh, you know, and Sam Jackson, you know, they're, they're like, they're like buddies and they're, they're criminals and whatever. But, you know, these two characters in this movie, they're partners and they work very well together as a team. But um, I don't really think that they're friends, particularly. I mean, they don't. I don't even know if they're really particularly like each other, other than they see each other as a necessary partner to achieve their goals. Because, like, Del Toro tries to kill Philippi twice in the movie, mm -hmm. and and uh, Philippi almost kills him when when he does it one time. You know, like they they really at each other's throat a lot of the time. <laughs> But, they're kind of like um, brothers in arm, like it's yeah, like kind the of, way like of the that. gun, you know, it's like yeah. they're two gun people that kind of like said, you'll mm -hmm. do, you know, as a partner, because you always need backup. And you these, always, yeah, like, you got to have a partner. Yeah. And, yeah, and they, so. they just, they, they're the two people that have that weird, you know, like he says in the beginning, they don't accept the natural order. They don't want a normal life. They just want to get their money and live their life like that, you know, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like. There's moments like um, I'm trying to remember the first one. Oh, at the truck stop, when the very first time when Juliet Lewis starts having troubles with the pregnancy and they have to call the doctor, like Del Toro's in the the quickie mart for like a long time. You know, he's in there flirting with the the cashier. They're watching the video you know and everything. They were watching dirty dancing, then they put the the video in the in the cassette player you know and everything and they're they're screwing around in there for a while and eventually 
he comes out and he sees that he's making a phone call and they have that whole wordless exchange with each other where they're just looking at each other and with their faces, you know, and everything. And you can see that he's kind of upset that he did something without telling him, but it was an important moment and whatever. The doctor shows up and I didn't get catch this right away, but Benicio Del Toro grabs it, like frisks him, then grabs his doctor's bag. And as they're walking towards the van, he opens the bag up, looks inside, and starts shaking it and, like, looking around. And then he closes the bag. When they get in the van, the doctor starts examining Juliette Lewis. And Benicio del Toro puts the bag right there in front of him to let him have all his, his bag of stuff. And there's a moment where Ryan Philippi looks at the bag looks at the doctor, looks over at, at Benicio de Toro, and is kind of confused about the series of events that just happened. And then as the doctor reaches into the bag, Ryan Philippi violently grabs his gun and pistol whips the doctor, and then reaches in and finds a small uh, PPK, like uh, a small pistol, that clearly Benicio del Toro saw and left in there in the hopes that the doctor would try to kill his partner. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a complicated relationship for it's sure. It's very weird, yeah. And, <laughs> but, and then there's but it, one, there, there's that important moment where Juliet Lewis almost blows them away with the shotgun, and that that one's a little more obvious because he's like having that conversation about God or something, and he says like, uh, "What will you tell God when you, you see there or something?" And then he he man he decides not to let him die, and he says something like, "I'll tell him I saved you," <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's a bit of like a daredeviling there with the, like he's just playing toying with his life, but still yeah, like yeah, he's like ah, if I can manage to let somebody else kill him, I won't feel bad about it. Yeah, it's very weird. It's interesting, but it's it's weird. One thing I need you to respond to, but first I'll say one another thing is the Sarah Silverman beginning the whole cursing and stuff. <laughs> you know what's funny? I I haven't seen Jack Reacher, but I saw a clip pop up on Facebook. Uh, amusingly, just this week after watching this movie, or last week, and um, I think he repeated the same scene. Like in Jack Reacher, there's a scene where like a couple of dudes are bothering him, and and they go outside to have a fight outside of the bar. And uh, and in this movie, it's a similar thing. Just there's a girl involved. I think there's a girl involved in Jack Reacher too, possibly. There, there is definitely yeah. a girl involved in Jack. Yeah, Reacher. it's the I, it's basically I the same know scene. If I would just say it's the same because that is based off of like a, one of the of an actual child books or whatever. Yeah. Um. And uh. And in the not you know no you know spoilers for Jack Reacher if anybody hasn't seen it, but it's not a huge spoiler. But um, like most of the Jack Reacher stories. It's a story where he shows up in a town and finds out there's a bunch of shit going on and has to, and it's like a mystery to solve kind of basic sort of thing. And in that movie, somebody has paid a, uh, a, a waitress to flirt with him in the hopes that he'll make a move causing, giving causing, a, uh, like, like four different guys there an excuse to go beat the crap out of him and possibly kill him in the parking lot. So it's like, it's all a setup in that one they they're she's she's being overly flirtatious in the hopes that they can beat the crap out of him in the parking lot and he sees right through the whole thing and just goes outside because he knows he can defeat them it's going through the motions of the whatever is being set up for him and maybe that's part of the plot in the in a book so it's not but but it does seem like a very very yeah. similar scene yeah. 
but in any oh, case, yeah. uh, I thought that was interesting because it's the same writer. It is, director. yeah. But the um, uh, the other thing, as far as uh, responding to your, because you keep talking about the the gunfight in the end and how oh, tremendous yeah. it is, don't you feel <laughs> like the moment the moment they completely lost me is when he jumps into the fountain and onto the glass. <laughs> I was just like, it was like comedic. He's like jumping in. Ah! Um, <laughs> it was okay, just so, so weird. And then like the gory pulling out the dude, glass. Uh, like, that was okay, so unnecessary. Okay. So it's comedic in the, the moment, except that I'm, con I'm confused. And then the moment, I I'm just talking for myself here. The moment he's down there and I see what happened to him, I don't know about you. That was one of the most visceral scenes I've ever seen. Aside from maybe Bruce Willis pulling shards of glass out of his feet in but, Die Hard, but it's unnecessary. In, in, how, in Die how? Hard, it was actually appropriate. Like in Die, Die Hard, I, I remember that. And it's kind of like also in Rambo when he pulls the thing out of his. You know, those scenes are good, but here it's completely out of place. It's not necessary. Oh, it's no. like Blade Runner jumping through four like panels of what? glass instead of just one. It's just so overkill. There's guns, there's like bullets flying everywhere. We don't need shards of glass and gore in the middle of all this. Like it's just oh, not know. necessary. I it was awesome. But okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I don't know. I it was so out of place. Um oh you're gonna I, say something, Matt? I, I yeah, I, oh I, I I think I'm more on Jason's side here in that I, I think it was actually a nice touch. In that, you know, most gunfight sequences that you have in movies, they don't really put in there like those moments where a character just out of the heat of, you know, being in the middle of this gunfight just makes a really stupid decision <laughs> and injures himself in the process. And I actually think that was a nice touch. He, he, you know, he jumps through the glass. He has to pull the glass out. That's a really visceral, awful you know moment and i think that that's something that probably happens a lot in real life gunfights where somebody's you know you know you're outnumbered you're you're spraying bullets your your focus is just on not getting shot and then you make a decision and you actually end up injuring yourself i mean that just rang true to me yeah <laughs> no i i, I, I can buy okay. that yeah go ahead yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, because he said rang true to him. I was, I was going to say, like, just throwing this out there, aside from it just being really big, like a big gunfight. Um, I yeah. really love the end of this that movie because of, uh, I think The Way of the Gun is a movie that someone could watch if they were really, really into um, uh, the, the technical aspects of, like, you know, um, of guns and, and how a shootout would happen, everything like that. Now I'm sure there's people out there who are like, actually, you know, uh, you, you know, they, you know, actual operators out there that know their, their stuff and, and probably point it or like pick out really bad things, you know, like that, that were not accurate or something like that here and there. But um, there's a lot of really cool stuff in the movie. There's moments, the way that the two guys cover each other and the way they move, the way they communicate in the middle of a gunfight and stuff like that. And, and uh, it's, I, I really like a lot of it. Um, there's yeah, uh, the, the backing up in the, what is yeah, the hospital or something or that part that was good. Yeah. That. And um, there's moments where like uh, um, Benicio del Toro does a one-handed uh, check 
um, I think sometimes people call it a brass check, but it's like you're he's uh, he's pulling the slide on his uh, on his pistol back just enough to to make sure that he actually still had some ammo in there without having to actually like pull the magazine out because at, at that point in time he'd already been shot in the arm. So he's like doing all of it one handed, and uh, I don't know. It's just a lot of really good stuff, a lot of attention to detail. I feel when it comes to that last big fight. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what the movie was going for, and I gave it a point for it. Is that it did try to own up to its name and and had some sophistication in the the methods, the weaponry, and you know the, he had the moment where he was doing the um, sniper thing from the mm, hill. Yeah. <clears throat> but but I feel like the, yeah. overall the movie was trying to do too many things. It's also a kidnapping story. It's also um, you know this um, involved with these other people that like are you know sort of like mob people or at least like shady like uh, white crime like a white collar crime type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. It just it felt like there's too much in it. Like if you dropped like a, either a couple of characters. Or, you know, and then the, the the doctor is the son of the old guy, and then the the Robin is the daughter of James Conn. There's too much like family trees here. It just it's all like a bit too much when when you're really trying to like maybe tell a story about people who use guns a lot. You know that that's you should have like been oh. a plotting device that would have been just simpler while showing all those things. Um, but but going back to the the shards of glass and everything, I I kind of would buy that, as in like showing how he had it coming. The whole thing of like, you know, people who are bad people and kill people, like they they just they have their comeuppance in, in a way. And and also the this movie repeats what a lot of these movies with a lot of bad people are, is that they're all like the Benicio. Um, Philippi, the thing like that, the uh, the almost kills him, like because they're not honorable people. They're they're all like, they kind of deserve each other, you know. In all these crime movies, mm. there's like they're all bad people, so obviously they can't trust one another. Another, they, you know, that's it's very rare that you have like the James Con character that's honorable and can be trusted to some degree, as long as you don't backstab him or something. Like he's the standout for me in the bunch, but, but there's uh, all these things going on. And and I felt like if they had just picked like two out of the four, then maybe it would have been a more uh, focused, um, successful movie. Yeah. But you know, but yeah, like we said, uh, like anything else, it's just the way um, you feel about it as you're watching it. And it just, it didn't click for me, but another movie with very similar mechanisms and slightly different, characterizations might have worked i don't know or maybe in the hands of a like a masterful director yeah like exactly like a you know it's what was that movie i keep going back to it that example of like the it's the mad damon movie where he's like traveling through different like worlds or something Matt damon the adjustment bureau oh That's that the, one yeah, yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah that was even remember worse. that one yeah it was like <laughs> a very sophisticated I liked it. It was a sophisticated concept and stuff. And I remember like that movie I, I famously used a lot when, when trying to make the point, like that's the kind of movie and you can use it for almost any type of movie like this movie, where if you brought in a Christopher Nolan to make that movie, it would be a masterwork. Like it would be huh. amazing. Uh, but I because it wasn't. That. So the same thing with this movie, like you, you're saying, if you brought like a Denis or 
But, you know, you can't have all those movies directed by those top not. directors. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, right. But, yeah, if you brought, like, David Fincher, like, it's just, it, it would be, like, several notches higher. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's I, a good I point. liked, um, what's the one you just, Adjustment Bureau. I just thought um, for all of its interestingness, uh, and maybe this is kind of like what you were talking about, uh, I really liked it. But by the very end of the movie, I was just like, oh, and it all kind of boiled down to just like, oh, it's a nice love story. Yeah, sort of like a conception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with it. That's why it should have been a Christopher Nolan movie. It would have like uh, paired well with Inception. It was even done not too uh, far removed from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, at least the adjustment bureau looked pretty good. I think it was shot by John Toll, right? Uh, but sure. uh, The Way of the Gun was shot by Dick Pope, uh, who it was done some really great work since uh <laughs> yeah but it's not great right like yeah. uh, uh there and was some did... nice moments i like that well, and, i like when and um... he did the matrix oh. like not uh like uh, that, that was bill pope uh, oh bill pope never mind so that's a different pope no uh dick pope <laughs> is uh, yeah yeah dick pope is uh uh like mr turner and the illusionist and was uh, mr oh. turner good i wanted to see that it looked really good Okay. Uh, so Timothy I'm surprised because uh, those yeah. are good looking movies. I'm I'm surprised yeah. that like this was pretty bad. Like the uh, the lighting on yeah. this, I felt like was very generic. Like uh, still, still my my favorite uh, my favorite Dick Pope moment ever was when uh, he was being announced for his nomination for Mr. Turner, and the person announcing his nomination called him Dick Poop. <laughs> and, <laughs> and his response after the fact was, "Oh, I've been called worse." You know? <laughs> oh my god! You know, it's uh, funny. I, I saw I saw a, a, a school bus today on the road that was kind of like dirty, and somebody rode like something like you know, like on the on the dust, like they kind of mm -hmm. rode like uh, something, yeah. you know, blah 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 are the best. And then somebody below it, uh, like, was trying to like respond to it, and they write blah yeah. blah blah, uh, losers. <laughs> like they, they spelled it L O O S E R, losers instead of losers. And I was like, that's so appropriate on a school bus. That just shows the the state of like public <laughs> education in this country. Yeah, uh, I don't fault them. I'm sure at their age, I would have made that mistake. But uh, yeah. but still, I I found that very appropriate on a school bus to see him misspell like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> Well, you know, still, uh, one thing that I, I had to think about when we were talking about the uh, that shootout sequence is, you know, one casting decision that from now on we're going to have to credit a lot of people with is they had a massive shootout with a lot of guns and they didn't cast Alec Baldwin. Ah, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, 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 at least got to give them props for that. Uh, <laughs> um, the the shootout uh, scene you were talking about at the motel where he's doing the sniping, um, yeah. I really like that they mm -hmm. uh, they accurately depicted the well, with the sound design um, when you when they look up at him and they see him firing from you know when when it's Tay Diggs' point of view and mm -hmm. he's at the car looking up you see him firing and it's like a good second and a half later before they you can hear the the sound of the rifle. Yeah. And then um and then of course when it cuts to the other side and they're up there it's in sync with with when he's firing the gun and stuff like that. I thought that was really nice. 
Oh, the um, the sound. Yeah, the... there's a lot of movies yeah. that don't get that right. Like um, one of the, a perfect example is like um, uh, a very good movie. Of course, I'm not trying to fault the movie too much, but uh, the Tom Selleck movie, uh, Quickly Down Under. You know, there's a lot of scenes where he's got a rifle and he's shooting people from long distance, and in almost all of those scenes, sorry, um, when they show what he's hitting, what, what he's shooting at from a long distance, they're just uh, showing, you know, they're depicting it where the, the, the rifle, you can hear the sound and the person gets shot instantly, you know, it's kind of thing. Whereas like at, at great distances, you know, the sound travels so much slower than, than light. So you can see someone shooting at you way before you can hear them. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, they they showed the delay between when the bullet is released to when it hits. Yeah. Yeah. You know that like he, he shoots the bullet, but the impact is not yeah. felt until like a few seconds later because the bullet travels. Yeah. So it's like touches like that, but at the same time, I felt like it it wasn't as precise as it could have been. True. It could have been even more precise. Like to really delve deep into like if you're gonna make a movie about the way of the gun make a movie about the way of the gun yeah like take a lot of the noise out and really make it about that you need a very thin you know we've talked about with other movies like like tenant and other ones where like maybe sometimes it's good to have a very very thin mm. um plot maybe not tenant was like the characterization of the character but but like uh in some movies like uh, i think we've discussed how like the the less that's going on the more you can focus about like sure. strip down to like yeah. the essentials like um uh ex machina yeah in a way maybe that's what it's just about what it's about like focusing exactly and and we mentioned when we talked about blade runner that maybe it's not as subtle as as maybe taking the blade runner approach um but it's it's just uh it, it really delves much deeper than blade runner um, because it's it's focusing on that one thing, and it's it's there's not mm. one way to make a movie. It's just that it's a it's a different experience. And, and I wonder if like there is a movie out there that's very similar to the way of the gun, at least with the approach to the gun part. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. And and I wonder if like you know, and if gun enthusiasts like just jack off to one of those movies, <laughs> you know, every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs>